Hola. Bonjour. Diana and Chantal here, and we are My Ride or Die. We are best friends who live in the beautiful Okanagan Valley of British Columbia, Canada. We create weekly podcasts covering a range of topics from worldly to personal. During each podcast, we ensure to both cover a true crime story. Diana will be sharing a European story and I will be covering North America. We hope you all enjoy our dialogue and we're open to suggestions of topics as well. We're so excited for this new adventure and to meet some stellar new friends along the way. Come for the stories. Stay for the odd couple antics. Welcome, everyone. Hello. My name is Diana. My name is Chantel. We are here for your entertainment and ours because that's important. (laughs) We are a weekly podcast that discusses a bunch of different awesome stuff and true crime. And where do you want to start, Chantel? Well, I guess let's let our listeners get to know us a little bit. So go ahead, Diana. Okay. I am 44 and I was born on the Portuguese island of Terceira in the Azores. It's so weird talking about myself. I was, you feel on the spot. I do. I know. I never know what to see there. I'm like, um, um, I'm like, I know myself, obviously. I'm the best person to ask, but. (laughs) Right? No one's more qualified. I don't know how to talk about myself. Okay, so yes, 44, live in BC, born in Portugal, lived in Toronto most of my life. So my parents moved to Toronto when I was just under, uh, so they moved in January. I turned three in April. So I was itty bitty baby. Don't remember much of it. Came on a plane, not on a boat. (laughs) I've had people ask me that. I'm not even I'm not surprised. Yeah, the term fob, fresh off the boat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I got thrown a lot. I'm not surprised. Yeah. So I came on a plane. At least that's what my parents told me. I had so a passport. fresh off the plane. Fresh off the plane. <laughs> FOP. I'm an FOP. And came here with my mom and dad and my little brother. who was a year old. And then my sister was born here. My parents moved to Toronto. And I had some family already that immigrated from Portugal to Toronto. And that's where I lived and thought the whole world revolved around Toronto. And most Torontonians feel that way. Like the world just revolves around Toronto. Oh, I have encountered that in Kelowna driving, let me fucking tell you. Oh, yeah. Then I discovered BC 10 plus years ago, came here on vacation and was just like, what the fuck am I doing in Toronto? There's beautiful places in Ontario. Don't get me wrong. There are for sure. I've seen pictures. It does look pretty. The weather sucks, though. That, yeah. It's so humid. You've it's said it's so humid. humid. That's disgusting. If you, okay, Ugh. your hair, you're in permanent frizz mode. It's horrible. Ugh. Your lungs hate your guts. My animals didn't want to be outside. It was so humid. That's gross. Yes. I couldn't handle that. Is it like that every day? No. And I'm sure some of my friends listening to this are like, it was not like that. But maybe you guys need to vacation away for a while. To a dry <laughs> climate like Kelowna. And then you'll realize, holy crap, yeah. she is not wrong. Um, it's a jungle where I live. <laughs> yeah. Chantal and I met six years ago through my work. And we are very, very very different people (laughs) should i get into that or do you want to like introduce yourself a bit and then we'll get into like why we're so different yeah i'll introduce myself a little bit and then we'll and then yeah dive into that after so take the reins after okay okay so yeah i'm chantelle diane and i are best friends the best of friends i'm 29 and i have lived in Kelowna, british columbia my whole life born and raised here i like to say that i have traveled quite a bit so that's nice too because It's definitely something else when you stay in the place you were born. I Mm -hmm. always wanted to leave Kelowna. Like, I always said that, like, to my friends and stuff, like, nobody wants to see Kelowna in the rearview mirror more than I do. Huh. I almost left several times. Like, you know, I almost moved to Whitehorse. Yeah. 
And so, like, yeah, I wanted to... Because you're nuts, <laughs> but okay. I love the Great White North. You're nuts. I'm a winter. Yeah. And it's so fucking hot here. Ugh. God. Then you will not do well in Ugh. Toronto. You would never do well in Toronto. No. Ugh. I would only go to Toronto at certain times because there's no fucking way I'd go in the summertime. I would mm-hmm. die. There's no way. No. I don't do well with extreme heat. And, like, the heat in Kelowna kills me. I would much rather a cooler climate. So, yeah, I was so gung-ho to move to Whitehorse. But I never ended up moving and just stayed here. And I'm act like Kelowna's growing on me now. Now that I don't know, I'm pushing 30. Well, hello, me. (laughs) Obviously. (laughs) Well, that's just kind of it, too. Like, I think about how different my life would have been had I joined the RCMP. Yeah. Had I moved and stuff like. Yeah. I wouldn't have had so many incredible things in my life. So many incredible people would not be in my life. Like you and I would have never met. I know. Right? That's depressing. It is, for sure. Because yeah. there ain't, ain't nobody like you. I know. I'm so <laughs> great. And I feel the exact same way about you. Thank you. <laughs> so, yeah, I've been, I was born and raised here. I speak French and I am Metis. I have a family whom I adore and we live in the mountains, which is really, really cool and we love it. I live in the mountains too. You're just like off grid in the mountains. I'm on grid in the mountains. Yeah. So yeah, Diana lives like, yeah, on the side of a mountain and it's beautiful where she lives. And yeah, we live (laughs) off grid. Like our driveway is dirt road. We live off grid. For how many kilometers? Oh, I don't even know. That's a good question. It's pretty far. It's a pretty, pretty good distance. Oh, I know. Up that dirt road. Yeah. But at the same time, it's also so close to town too. Oh yeah. Like it's far, but it's super close. It is. Like so fucking close. It's weird. It is But your driveway is longer than most people's driveways. Yeah. It's a fucking long ass driveway. Yeah. Both of them. Because we have two driveways. I know you do. It's ridiculous. But we love living off grid. It's wonderful. Although it's like... It, ha- it comes at a cost. Yeah. With, like, weather and stuff, it comes at a cost. Yep. And then the unforgiving terrain, which yep. Duchess and I learned all about. Yes. God. Because you both injured yourselves. We I'm happy to have a ourselves. truck because I would be, like, sketched out driving up there. Right. Without a truck. I know. So I'm super grateful I have a truck. <laughs> I am, too, for you. Yeah, definitely that you have a really safe vehicle. The summer's obviously it's fine it's just you feel like you're on a really horrible fucking roller coaster oh i know <laughs> and the washboard is so bad it's horrible it sends you coming sideways down the road too. it can you yeah just hit the washboard and you just slide you do winters however oh my god i watched some <laughs> crazy people try and get up and then try and turn around and go down the hill sideways yep because they realized they fucked up. Yep. And I'm sitting there going, okay. And it's too late. <laughs> Phone ready to call 911. Yep. But then situations like that. And then they come up and they get stuck. And it's yep. just the whole fuckery. <laughs> like that song I sang you yesterday, Truck Got Stuck. It's like it yep. turns into that. Everybody's getting stuck. Yeah. Yeah. And it's comical. But it is comical. But after the fact. After, yeah. And after not necessarily fact. on ice. No. But that road is treacherous in the winter. So many people ended up in the ditch. Yeah. I'm sure they can make like, you know, like the ice capades or those ice Disney things. They could make a a whole thing about it. For sure. For all the (laughs) rednecks. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not a redneck, but I feel like one sometimes. No, but you know, redneck, maybe that's not the right term. But like for all the people that live off grid or live in the mountains or whatever, those people, what do we call us? I don't know. That's a good question. I don't but know. But we can have the ice capades for that. Yeah. And it would be comical. Like just watching a bunch of fucking vehicles slide downhill sideways. That's it. With music. That would be really funny. We yeah. We could uh, make a lot of money doing that. That's a good idea. We could. I mean, right now it's a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so yeah, you live off grid with your awesome, awesome family. Yeah. And much like Diana, 
I love animals too. So we have three cats and a Great Dane and I have a python. I haven't said anything about my animals yet. No, yes, I you <laughs> but you said yeah, I love animals too. <laughs> yeah, so Diana needs to touch base on her totally. obsession, literal obsession with animals. Like mm-hmm. I love animals to bits and pieces, but I swear she is obsessed. I am. And I'm also an equestrian, but I don't have any horses right now, but that's something we're going to get in the future sometime. And I can't wait to share that with Diana too, because she loves horses just as much as I do. One of my favorite animals. Uh, they are my favorite animals. Yeah, so. same. I can't wait to share that with Diana. I'm a hunter. I've been a hunter my entire life. I'm a vegan. Yes, Diana is a vegan. And this is <laughs> this is the, the tip of the iceberg with us being an odd couple. Diana's well, a vegan and I'm a hunter. This is unheard of. Yeah, it starts with the age gap, I suppose. Like, yeah, I the mean, age gap. You're only, what, six years older than my son? Seven years? Six years-ish. What's so, how old is Josh? He's going to be 22? 23. Yeah, okay. So, so he's, yeah. Six and a half years. Six and a half years older than your son. Which is crazy but not i don't even really think about it until Neither people do point I. it out and then i'm like oh yeah but anyways <laughs> <laughs> i'm vegan chantal is not but i love eating your food i still right oh, i love vegan food my food is amazeballs it's so good like honestly if i didn't love being a hunter so much and all that's encompassed in that and yeah. being metis i could see myself being vegan yeah it's so yeah. good. Well, and that's the thing. Like, a lot of people hear it and they're like, oh, my God, they eat plastic. I'm sure some people do. Really? <laughs> no, not actual plastic. I mean, like, food. They don't know how to oh, cook okay. themselves, so they buy shit. Oh, but I also I say this like, thing. what? No, they don't actually eat plastic, <laughs> dude. But it's like, when I did eat meat, you buy those prepackaged lasagnas. I don't yeah. know why those are the first things that come to my mind. They were horrible. Yeah. They sucked. I remember when vegan foods first started coming out. No, no, no. Gross. I'm talking about the meat stuff. I'm talking about like the prepackaged meat lasagnas that I yeah, remember yeah. I've purchased maybe twice in my oh, life. okay. Yeah. Like, like, you know, busy, whatever, buy it. And you're like, holy fuck, that sucked. I spent that money on it and it tasted like cardboard. Yeah. Literally. Same thing with vegan food. Okay. Yeah. I have tried some where I'm like, that is not, that's not okay. That's torture. And that should not be... <laughs> allowed for human consumption like at all <laughs> so i learned to cook a lot of it myself because i like knowing what's going into my food and whatnot but it can be so tasty and you know that yeah so good diana's never cooked anything that i didn't like there was only one processed food that she made once that i didn't like the taste of but that was no reflection on her cooking at all but yeah i have never not liked something you have you've made yeah and so i good. know i generally know when you're gonna like something or not because i have had stuff like when you the, know my taste the processed stuff and yeah. i'm like you're not gonna like that don't touch it and then she tried i think it was a cheese i can't remember what it was and you tried it anyway and you're like Bleh. and i was like i warned you <laughs> <laughs> sounds about right yeah generally like vegan food can be so good mm-hmm. <laughs> but yes okay so hunter vegan one of those things that people would be like no no yeah not not gonna work boils down to respect too right of course it's a huge respect thing and and i appreciate so much that you respect my lifestyle Mm -hmm. because i know that is such a huge battle for so many vegans and vegetarians yeah and i get that i totally understand that vegans and vegetarians really struggle with people who hunt and stuff i completely understand that yeah so it's always meant so much to me that you've yeah respected my way of life and stuff of course and i see how you live it and just like there are radical vegan people, there are radical meat eaters and oh, radical yeah. hunters and radical religious people and radical whatevers, you know? So it's just finding the good and it's a live and let live, I suppose. 
maybe that's not the right term but that's ironic in this sense (laughs) that's probably not the best term but you respect my lifestyle too because it's amazing how much hate i get (laughs) for being vegan and it's like i literally just eat vegetables like fuck off and leave me alone it doesn't make any sense i like i've told you before i see it in hunting groups of people shitting on vegans and i'm like do you have anything better to do with your time like shit on people who literally just eat plant-based diets what are you doing with your time basically i've never understood that i'm just over here in my corner doing doing you me yeah and people decide to shit on it and it's like well clearly (laughs) you have nothing better to do with your life or time that's another thing then there's the religious part of it so like when we first met okay so backtrack a bit so when we first met it was through my work and we sat down and we shot the shit for like an hour about that before we actually got into the work stuff and then after that it was this connection Mm -hmm. and we kind of chatted after and it was like well do you want to hang out (laughs) okay (laughs) and we both i mean i knew she was a hunter i knew she was religious i knew this stuff just from stuff she was saying meeting with her for work stuff i wasn't getting into that with me just because like i like to keep all of that out of it really at the end of the day i'm not meeting with people to talk about any of that but i was super fucking nervous to tell you hey by the way i'm vegan hey by the way i'm religious hey by the way like it was just you like mean this... that you're atheist what did i say a religious did i yes you did you said hey by non-religious the way, religious. yeah non-religious okay well i'm gonna go back and check that out because if i did uh sorry <laughs> <laughs> yeah you said hey i'm religious non-religious, non-religious. uh so it, it was this like like, I really, really like her, but how is she going to take it? And my reaction was because of other reactions. I, like, the yeah. way I, the reason why I reacted that way is because of other interactions with people. Sure, and then yeah. they were nice. And as soon as they found out one of those, it was like, ugh. And it's like, okay. So I always kind of felt uh, the reservation, I suppose. Like, yeah. I always reserved certain information. But then when you started finding out that I was not a meat eater, I was not this, I was not that. You were kind of hesitant. We could feel the hesitation. Yeah. And then one day I was like, fuck it. So I just got it out. I was like, so by the way, if we're going to be friends, <laughs> you need to know this about me. I'm a vegan. I'm non-religious. <laughs> and if that upsets you, I'm going to be sad. But I just, I don't want to continue this and get hurt later. For sure. And then you were like, okay, well. <laughs> I'm Christian at the time. At the time. And I'm a hunter. I am now non-religious. And to clarify, has nothing to do with Diane Thank you. I was yeah. going to throw that in nothing there. Nothing to do with Diane. She had reservations when we first met. I've always had reservations of religion from day one. Yep. Always had fucking reservations of religion. I went back and forth with it my whole life. Honestly, it was after a banner year in my life and a huge event that I was like, I can't do this anymore. And I completely walked away from religion on my own accord making that adamantly clear i supported you yeah 100 with religion like it didn't affect me and i wanted you to feel comfortable enough talking to me about it pardon me (laughs) which you did so i was totally fine and i am totally fine with religious people i have a lot of friends yeah yeah you never had an issue with my never ever never diana never had a problem with me being religious when i was ever she fully supported it i tell her i was going to church she supported it yeah Always, yeah, there was never an issue with that. Yeah. What else? And music. We music. are completely <laughs> the look on your face. We are sort of completely different. So my yeah, right? My go to is EDM, so electronic dance music. <laughs> then I listen to rap, I listen to basically everything but country. 
yeah okay that that's a, a good statement yeah that's, <laughs> that's, that's accurate <laughs> then chantal's main music is pretty much country <laughs> Yes. So, and I love rap too. And then so much other stuff. Yes. So yep. we share we share the other stuff, but the main, our main music is so different. And yep. it's funny when I play my EDM, I, I think my age has a lot to do with a lot of people being weirded out when they hear me listening to it. It's like, you're 44 and you listen to this. Like, fuck you. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> Did I all of a sudden, do you get to a certain age and all of a sudden I have to put the fucking gray wig on, the glasses, <laughs> like walking, like with my little cane and being like, oh, now I listen to whatever. No. And... It's my day to day. Yeah. And I absolutely love it. And now it's gotten to a point. Okay. So I have a, as I mentioned earlier, a 22, almost 23 year old son that works. And he has to remind me sometimes <laughs> that I'm playing the music too loud because he has to work in the morning. And it's like, oh, fuck. The tables have turned. Yeah. But like, that's how much I love it. And I love it loud. Yes, she does. I can vouch for that. I've lived with loud, her. Loud, 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 loud. Very loud. Yes. And country is definitely not anywhere on my radar i mean it is because i know people that listen to it and that's kind of it <laughs> and even then she bucks it completely Ugh, i try and there are times where you're playing something and i'm like okay very rarely <laughs> that is arguable very rarely <laughs> very 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 rarely i will admit <laughs> every I, once in a while i'm like okay and then she's like that's not country i'm like it is to me <laughs> not in the slightest i was gonna say literally okay i put on the song house party from sam hunt and anyone who knows his music and then also knows like 90s country knows that his music is not fucking country it is pop with a banjo i put that on and the <laughs> moment the banjo started i could feel diana glare at me in her kitchen i could feel it in my soul her glaring at me to shut that shit off not even country i have no control <laughs> Of how I react to any of that at all. When we had that party at your house and I was waiting for all you gals to show up and I was sitting on the sun deck. Yeah. I was listening to like country, like Kenny Chesney from like the 2000s, like early 2000s. Yeah. Country music and just loving it. Just sitting there. I was having a little me party and I'm like, if Diana was here, she would shoot me and she would shoot me with my own gun. She actually texted me. To let me know she was listening to yes. country. And I said, enjoy it while it lasts, lady. <laughs> I'll be there soon. Yeah. It was strange. Yeah. Strange. I'm sure it was. Sitting on your you. stomach listening to country. It was strange. Yeah. Yeah. That's just not allowed. I mean, it is when I'm not here. <laughs> yeah, when Go you're nuts. not here. Go nuts. <laughs> when you didn't live here and I was here by myself sometimes or whatever, I would listen to country. Every when I night. didn't live here? No, when I lived here. Oh. And like, I thought, how did I say that? I thought you said when you didn't live here. I'm like, I'm pretty sure I've lived here for the last 10 years. I don't now. I don't know how I worded that. But I meant like when I lived here <laughs> okay. and you weren't home, I would get my fill in and listen to country music. So we are very different. Yes. <laughs> but also very similar. We are. And that's the weird thing. We're like different, but the same. And it's odd. And it works. Yeah. Uh, hello, my ride or die. Right. Just saying. But it works. Yeah. And we have some really fucking awesome times. We do. And good conversations. Yes, we do. The last two weekends have been pretty awesome. Last weekend, I hosted my friend's birthday party and it was just girls. And it was a total Ibiza themed. So my jam, I made the playlist and everything everything was glow in the dark it was the best and i'm like i need to do it again it was so fun so much fun i was my in my God. unicorn onesie it was so fun there was glitter everywhere oh. everything like i said glow in the dark leds music was 
on point and oh, yeah. the police didn't get called <laughs> i know i'm surprised that they didn't neither i thought yeah. for sure well i talked yeah. to my neighbor funny enough and he's like oh my god is that what that was and i was like yeah i was just party sorry <laughs> and the week before that it was just me and you yes and uh it was one of those nights my son had to come out and be like i actually don't work tomorrow but can you guys turn it down it's like fuck but when he's gaming, Are oh my. <laughs> yeah, it right? wasn't I mean, it was three in the morning, but still. But still, we were having the time of our freaking lives. We were. And it was good. Yeah. Good fun. Good fun. Yeah. Well, that's us. Yep. And... Oh, your animals. Oh, fuck. Okay. So Conf- anyway, so yes, I'm a huge animal lover. Currently, I have two dogs, three cats. I have four snakes, a bearded dragon, an oxalotl. And a guinea pig. I want to tell you some of their names because they're great. The guinea pig's name is Mr. Mushroom. The oxalotl I called Toothless because she totally looks like Toothless. A white version of Toothless. Well, in the cartoon, he has a girlfriend and she's pink white like her. Oh, really? Oh, okay. Doesn't have a name. So totally looks like that. Cool. My bearded dragon is an orangey kind of color. So I called her Charlie. Oh, that's another thing. I love Harry Potter for anyone listening so yeah i'm a jerry potter fan wasn't sure if she was a boy or a girl and did find out she was a girl but i think charlie is a cute name for a boy or a girl charlie weasley from harry potter and if you don't know who that is look it up (laughs) because i can talk about harry potter forever and i'm not going to then i have three ball pythons the first one i got was from a friend and her name is marble when I first got her, her name was Morbo, and they thought it was a boy, but it is a girl. Then I rescued Monty from the SPCA, and he was, I don't know if he was abused, but he was definitely neglected. Yeah, he was burned. Yeah, stuff. he's got a few burns on his yeah. body, and he's got a big scab. It looks like a massive hangnail, and I have to help him shed, unfortunately. He does not shed properly. He doesn't shed his eyeballs properly. It's kind of sad. Then I rescued a corn snake. And I named her Ginny, again, Harry Potter reference, and it is a girl. And Waffles. Waffles <laughs> and Waffles. And Waffles. I fucking love that snake's name so much. It's adorable. Oh, what's your name, Waffles? <laughs> it's so cute. It's very cute. So I got them all, and I'll have them for a while. Then my three cats currently is Leo, Erwin, and Neil, and they're all named after scientists, which is just so fucking cool. So great. I love that. <laughs> and uh, then I have Steffi. She is a blue healer Jack Russell cross that I've had for 15 years. She just turned 16. She was a severely abused dog from Ohio. So she's American, but completely different dog now. She's just old. Everything that comes with old doesn't listen. Her vision's going, her hearing's going, but she is the best. She is the best. She's Stuffy's so amazing. Great. She's such a good girl. She's so great. Yeah, she is. Yeah. And then we have Frank. Frank is uh, a little bitch. A little bitch. <laughs> we were calling him that earlier when we were voice test, like uh, voice testing, voice yeah. testing the microphones. We kept saying Frank's a little bitch, and he kept looking at us with his bad ears. <laughs> he is a Chihuahua cross. We don't know what he's crossed with, but he's this, this white Chihuahua with huge ears. He's adorable, but a little shit and a little bitch. And that's what I have now. I've lost quite a few animals over the years, but I have a tendency to rescue animals that can't find a good home or are older well can't find a good home because everyone wants a puppy everyone wants a kitten they don't want the senior and i gravitate to that or animals that are injured or have a illness that no one wants to take care of so but currently yep that's that's my my posse diana zoo 
Diana mm-hmm. Zoo. Yep. And growing. And growing. It's always and, growing. Uh, sorry? It's always growing. Always. And it'll grow even bigger because Diana and I want to open up an animal sanctuary one day. Damn straight. That we is are so- going to have that. Yes. When we met, that was a topic of conversation because we instantly i find personally that we instantly bonded over our love for animals yes i think so yeah that was common ground for us when we found out about our animals and like you knew about my love for horses and my horse was dying at the time yes and so we had that to talk about and diana could relate because she's had animals and of course she's had animals pass away so we had instant common ground and then yeah one thing led to the another and we kept talking about our love for animals and how we both our own separate dreams were to open up an animal sanctuary and so it was like no shit you too yes and so that's something that her and i are going to do one day one day we will absolutely in the meantime i'm gonna have my mini (laughs) yeah rescue at home yeah with all you know but yeah totally and we'll rescue everything i know like it freaks people out when they hear i have reptiles and stuff like that and it's like Everyone needs love. Like everyone. everyone, everyone. I don't care how big or small. And if they gross you out, creep you out, you don't have to hug it. <laughs> Just yeah. walk away. You have to protect the unlovable. You do. You and do. I do a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I honestly don't understand the, the whole notion that like people are like, oh, well, why would you own a snake? Why would you own a lizard? You don't get love from it. And it's like, I don't own something with the expectation of it loving me back. Yeah. I own a snake. Like I only have one python. But I own a snake because I love snakes. I don't expect it to give me love and affection back. And I enjoy it thriving in an environment that I've created that replicates its natural environment. Yep. That's what I gain from having a snake and giving it a good, wholesome life. Yes. But I don't understand this hang-up that people have with that. If you have a pet, it has to reciprocate love back to you. No. That's a hang-up you need to work through. Totally. And they can let you know when they're happy, unhappy. Yeah with Absolutely. their environment or you or you exactly Fuck yeah a snake will let you know in short order if it's not happy totally it'll strike same with dogs same with cats same yeah with, exactly i mean fish <laughs> <laughs> yeah of, you know they can come up and look at you real mean <laughs> but you know give you the stink eye give you the stink eye through the glass <laughs> my oxalotl is very interactive by the way oh, she she's is like so the funny. sweetest thing it's like having an underwater lizard I actually put Charlie up to her tank the other day just to see how, because I was like, oh my God, they're the same, but one is on land, one is not. And they were just like looking at each other like, okay. <laughs> hello, land creature. Hello, water creature. Right? Yeah. Land dog, water dog. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> they all can express being happy, not happy in their own fucking language. You just have to understand it. Exactly. Like I'm not, exp- again, with the snakes, I know when they're happy. Like I, I have yeah. them out and they're not trying to choke me out <laughs> when I have them around my neck. Like they're content, they're fed, their environment is safe and comfortable for them. I make sure that the humidity is where it needs to be, blah, blah, blah. Same with any animal. Same yeah. with a human. I mean, well, animals. Yeah. We just we need to animals. understand that language exactly yeah you just yeah exactly if you can listen yeah you can listen you'll know and a lot of people are just not willing to because it's different exactly so they don't understand so therefore it's gross yeah exactly. (laughs) or whatever yeah and snakes and stuff get so much hate like i've heard throughout the years from so many people like oh snakes smell like piss no they don't they don't don't maybe if they're like neglected and never taken care of and nobody cleans their terrarium sure you know what you'd smell like piss too yeah like hello yeah but like my python never smells like piss she never has your snakes don't no like every other snake that i've handled and stuff from like professional people and like i've handled a lot of snakes in my life yeah big and small and they have never 
ever smelt like piss. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, you're not. Don't fucking lie to me. Oh, I've handled a lot of snakes in my life. A lot of snakes. <laughs> We're going to have to put up like a sheet between us so I'm not looking at you while we do this. Yes. <laughs> I would have never thought about that until I looked at you. My hand gesture. Yes. And the look on your face. That's what I seen first was the look on your fucking face. And then I was like. Because I just couldn't. God damn it, Diane. And not I knew myself. where your brain went. Yeah, my brain went there. <laughs> and I just couldn't hold it together anymore well, after that. And that's why we're friends. Exactly. <laughs> Best friends. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, enough about us. We're going to dive into our stories. And each week, we're both going to come up with a story, and it's going to be a surprise to each other. And we can't decide who's going to go first, so we're going to rock, paper, scissors this and figure out who's going to go first. Okay? Ready? Ready. Okay. Rock, paper, scissors. <laughs> Both rocks. Okay. Rock, paper, scissors. Oh, no fucking way. <laughs> Two scissors. All right. Rock, paper, scissors. No fucking way. Okay. Are you one my more, mind. One more time. One more time. Are you seriously reading my mind? Likewise. Get okay. out of my head. So you I'm win. Going first. Woo! I'm going Chantal first. Wins. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Okay. So. First, I'm just going to cite my sources from ucfiles.com, mindytran.com, and Crimebeat. I have named my story Thin Air. Trigger warning to our listeners for child abduction, rape, and murder. Viewer discretion is strongly advised. My first story is about a local unsolved murder in the city of Kelowna from the early to mid-90s. I grew up hearing about this devastating story all the time. I remember it mostly from the late 90s when the trial began to take place and we'd see the victim's face all over Kelowna. Today, I am sharing the restless story of Mindy Tran, whom, like I said, was murdered in Kelowna in 1994, and to this day, her case remains unsolved. Mindy was born on April 26, 1986, in Kelowna, British Columbia, to Vietnamese parents Annie and Johnny, along with her big sister Mimi, who immigrated to Canada in 1979, seeking an improved life for them and their family. Mindy was described as a very happy and loving little girl who was grateful for her family and treated everyone with kindness. Mindy made friends everywhere she went, and when she was violently taken from the community, her loss and absence put an enormous dent in Kelowna and in the hearts of her friends and family. Mindy loved to ride her bike around her Rutland neighborhood, asking friends to come out and play with her. Mindy was beloved by everyone and a staple of happiness in her family. It has been noted that Mindy was shy with strangers, which supported her case in the sense that she would have never willingly gone with a stranger anywhere. It was just after 7 p.m. on August 17, 1994, when Mindy rode out on her pink bike to go ask a neighborhood friend to play before turning in for the evening. That was the last time Mimi, Annie, and Johnny saw their precious Mindy. Searches began for Mindy immediately. Folks from the Okanagan community, police and search and rescue set out on foot and there were choppers up above, searching all over Kelowna for her. RCMP had very little evidence to go on and few tips. There were several people who stated that they had seen a man walking through the neighborhood with a suitcase around that time. 
There were also tips on a white van in the area, but then a local news reporter accused that of being a red herring. If that was the case, I've often wondered why the individual who called in that supposed tip hadn't been brought in to be questioned. But with that said, there was no specification surrounding that tip, whether it was anonymous or otherwise. Furthermore, I couldn't find anything else regarding it being a red herring or not. But if it was, then someone was obviously trying to distract police and other searchers. Yeah, no kidding, eh? Yeah, I couldn't find anything on it. I kept trying to just find more information on that and try and lay that a bit flatter. But there was nothing else. But one news reporter was like, no, that was a distraction. Yeah. So I've often wondered what happened with that. If that was really a distraction, why was that not brought in to question? Yeah. Right? So. Huh. Police became so desperate for a lead, they began seeking help that was very unorthodox. RCMP turned to psychics, <laughs> hypnotists, I know, on a witness, and they gave samples of Mindy's hair to a man named Rex Fitzgerald, who was a member of Search and Rescue. Rex was diligently searching for Mindy using divining rods. So, I had never heard of a divining rod before, so I had to look this up so I could give myself some clarification. Yeah, because I'm like, what the... Right? Fuck is that? <laughs> I know, Keska fuck. So yeah. I wrote down clarification for anyone else who has no idea what divining rods are. <laughs> so it's a forked rod that is believed to locate the presence of water or minerals. The rod will dip down when held over either. Hmm. So the way I described it to someone after writing the story was basically like I seen video footage of Rex with these divining rods and it's like these two basically just they look like metal shish kebab rods <laughs> they're like this black handle and the handle looks like a grip from like a handgun type thing and these metal rods come out of it and then right. so if it's over top of whatever material it can locate the rods they start to dip down it's really interesting it's not something that's believed by everybody but it's nonetheless a very interesting concept. Very interesting. And they were firsthand in, you know, finding Mindy. So on October 11th, 1994, six weeks after her disappearance, Rex Fitzgerald and another man found Mindy's body in a shallow grave at 10.30 a.m. I know. First, her shoe was located and then her body, which was partially naked and her shorts were tied very tight around her neck. It is worth noting that Mindy's body was located only blocks from her home in Rutland. On October 19, 1994, a funeral was held for Mindy at Springfield Funeral Home. There were so many people from the community attending that people had to remain in the parking lot. Students and staff from Springfield Elementary attended her funeral and her classmates sang for Mindy as a choir. Mindy's favorite song, A Whole New World, from the movie Aladdin, was playing at the funeral. Hmm. Yeah. This loss rocked Kelowna in a very big way. Everyone was affected by this and horrors such as Mindy's disappearance and murder were and still are a very rare occurrence in Kelowna. I remember it being heavy on my mom and her talking about Mindy all the time with her friends and family. She became even more protective over my sister and I and I didn't (laughs) know that was even possible. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Love you, mom. Everyone with young children were shook. I was one and my sister was four when Mindy was murdered. On April 26, 1995, which would have been Mindy's ninth birthday, a memorial site was created in Mission Creek Park, where balloons were released and a tree was planted in her honor. Of course, the Kelowna community gathered to support the Tran family and keep the memory of sweet Mindy alive. This is where the trial and whole case becomes very, very messy and extremely chaotic. 
It took RCMP more than five months to announce a prime suspect for the case. His name is Shannon Murren, native to Newfoundland. He was apparently friends with the parents of the children who Mindy was seeking to play with. Mindy rode her bike to this house and knocked on the door several times looking for her friends. It's been said that the family was out to dinner at McDonald's at the time that Mindy arrived at their place, but Murren was not with the family at their dinner. Technically, he was the, and I quote, only person home when Mindy arrived, but allegedly, according to Murren, he was searching for his stolen mountain bike when Mindy arrived. At their house? Yeah, so, like, apparently when she arrived knocking on the door, he wasn't there. He was apparently looking for his mountain bike, according to him. Sorry, I was, like, thinking he was looking for a stolen bike at their house. Oh, <laughs> and I was like, what? No, yeah, when Mindy arrived, yeah, like, at okay. that house, yeah, that he was so staying at. nobody was home is basically apparently, what he's saying. Apparently, yeah, what he's okay. saying is that nobody was home. He wasn't even there, allegedly, when she showed up. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, he stated in an interview that their neighbor heard Mindy knock several times with no answer. However, I couldn't find anything else to support that. It is worth noting that Murren has a violent history and is no stranger with the police. Murren had been a previous criminal of armed robbery and assault. It's public knowledge that the RCMP convinced three of Murren's friends that he had abducted and murdered Mindy Tran and the police wanted his friends to get a statement out of Murren. Apparently, the beginning of this altercation started with harsh accusations where Murren pulled a handgun on his friends and it ended with the three of them beating Murren within an inch of his life and then leaving him for dead. Jesus. All right. Yeah. Of course, Murren charged all three of them with assault and then the three friends were furious with the RCMP because they said that the RCMP gave them, and I quote, the green light when confronting Murren about the allegations and that no matter what, the police would back them up and nothing bad would happen to them. The RCMP, of course, countered those allegations with a statement that they did not give the three men the green light for any illegal or dangerous activity. They stated that they simply wanted these men to gather information for them. At least one of these three men stated that Murren confessed to the murder and rape of Mindy Tran before he was beaten. Of course, Murren denied any testimony. So as you can tell by now, there's a ton of he said, she said, bullshit and fuckery. Yep. All while Mindy still has no justice. Yeah. All three men ended up acquitted on all assault charges and walked. And of course, the RCMP remained in the shadows, safe. It should be noted that the police began turning on each other and whistleblowing one another for misconduct and cover-ups carried out by other officers. One member even took evidence, which I hate to say was Mindy's panties, and washed them. What the fuck? Yeah. This officer stated that he didn't want to return her garments to her parents soiled so he washed them that makes absolutely no sense right taking evidence and take it home ask his wife to fucking wash them or partner i know i know or himself i suppose yeah still just yeah like what do you even make of that fuck this left many people and colleagues stunned and fucking angry yep which also fueled the fire of misconduct and cover-ups yeah what kind of police officer washes evidence, especially yeah. in a case that has bare minimum to go on and virtually no leads? That's horrible. Murren believes police allegedly tried to set him up to carry out a hit on someone for a quarter of a million dollars. Again, this is allegedly. Yeah. Police wouldn't comment on a supposed hit setup, but Murren stated that apparently after he turned down the supposed request to kill someone, that's when his friends approached him and beat him. 
On Monday, January 13, 1997, Shannon Murren was charged with the murder of Mindy Tran. Murren's trial was moved to Vancouver, B.C., and it began on August 3, 1999. During cross-examination of Mindy's sister Mimi taking the stand, defense stated that it was impossible for Murren to have killed Mindy and dispose of her body in the timeline provided by Crown. There was also hair found at the crime scene, but it had no root ball, which is needed for a full DNA analysis. This meant that a micro mitochondrial DNA analysis was performed, and being in the 90s, this process was very fresh and only narrowed down a list of possible suspects. This was also the first time a mitochondrial DNA analysis was ever brought into Canadian court, okay. and he was also the first one to slip under the radar. So when I say slip under the radar, like, nothing was held against him. Like, he, no charges were followed through with that. It didn't hold any water, basically. Awesome. So, there are some, but, I mean, there was a lot of mishandling of evidence. And oh, like, yeah. Oh, my God. The, idiots. The, the misconduct in this case was astonishing. Wow. And mishandling of evidence was astonishing. It was horrible. There are some very in-depth and complex allegations against the RCMP for mishandling evidence in an alleged attempt to frame this murder on Murren. It should be noted that an unreasonable amount of responsibility was placed on the jury, such as determining if the DNA results were due to degradation, which is a determination that can only be made out by professional scientists. Not to mention the nuclear samples that could have been tested from Mindy's garments that were washed away by a member. I'm sorry... They what? They, I know. They, they took the garments home and washed them? That's like taking a victim's t-shirt and taking it home and washing the blood yeah. out. Like, what the fuck are you doing? Is that not filed in evidence? <laughs> like you just... Yeah. Whoa. What the fuck? Wow. Murren's defense lawyer closed his statements to the jurors that this was a botched and biased investigation with circumstantial evidence at best. Jurors deliberate for six days. Then, on January of 2000, the decision became unanimous that Shannon Murren was acquitted on all charges. Murren later returned to his home in Newfoundland and later began a relationship with one of the juror members. <laughs> Super fucked up and massive conflict of interest. Uh, just a little bit. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. I don't want to focus anymore on Shannon Murren because he's not the one who matters in this story. Mindy does. But now you know why I said that this investigation and trial became extremely messy, chaotic, and was handled atrociously. Yeah. 25 months after Mindy went missing, RCMP began digging up the Kelowna landfill for four days in hopes to find the luggage that was believed to have transported Mindy's body. There was no success to our knowledge. After the trial, 400 students from Springfield Elementary as well as staff and other Okanagan citizens gathered at Mindy's memorial site in Mission Creek to say their final goodbyes and pay respect to Mindy and the Tran family. It was a very emotional gathering for everyone, but I am so proud of my strong Okanagan community for banding together to help bring justice to this sweet little girl and support the hell out of her devastated and beyond grieving family. No kidding. Poor yeah. baby. She was nine or she was eight turning eight. nine? She was eight. eight she would have turned nine the next year Ugh. on August 26th. How brutal. I know. Yeah. My closing statements for this case is that there are so many gaps in information, so many unanswered questions and a ton of drama and scandals. It's quite shocking and I can't begin to fathom what the family was going through at the time and what they still go through to this day. I hope the Tran family has found peace somehow. I hope so. Me too. I wonder where they are, if they're still in the I'm Okanagan. I'm not sure if they are. That's, oh, they came here for a better life. Right? I know. I thought about that when I was writing this story. Like, yeah. they came here for a better life. Yeah. And that happened. Oh, 
I'm so sorry to all three of them. Right? That's I actually horrible. wish I had named that. The, my story came here for a better life. Yeah. Well, we came here for a better life. Damn. Anyways. We still can. I guess so. <laughs> yeah. I can say it was beyond aggravating for me to watch what were supposed to be professionals working together to solve this little girl's disappearance, rape, and murder. And when I say for me to watch it, I mean through the videos that I watched and all the news recordings I watched. Yeah. It was so frustrating. It was like nobody was working together. It seemed as if no one was working together and yet everyone was fully willing to throw one another under the bus. Any chance they got. Of course. And for what? What good did it prove? Where was the moral high ground? What in the actual fuck? Yeah. Like when did justice for an innocent girl become a pissing match and a bandwagon for a slew of misjudgment calls and secrets? Someone knows something. Someone is hiding the truth and it's disgusting. And shit like this makes me question the society we live in. Yeah. And I, I can't believe that person is still out there. I know. Yeah. What the fuck? And to clarify oh. too with my story, I'm not pro Murrin being innocent or guilty. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Well, I'm, no, I'm not supporting him. I'm not not supporting him. I just don't fucking know. No. There's nothing to prove that it was him except for that he was a family friend i suppose there is some stuff with some of the hair dna analysis oh okay okay there's some stuff with that that i didn't mention because this case is so in-depth and it's not that it doesn't matter it matters immensely yeah but it was so overwhelming to put together because there was so much misconduct there was so much mishandling of evidence and that too it's like even if there was something that was potentially supportive of his case, like mm -hmm. his defense, there were things that weren't supportive with the RCMP or vice versa. And there was just so much misconduct with this case that it's like, you just, you don't even almost know what to believe. That's horrible. I'm so sad. Yeah. Such a horrifying story. I've seen her tree, seen her memorial site at Mission Creek, walked by it so many times, read the write-up at it so many times. Like, Is it still there? Oh, yeah. Oh, shoot. Oh, yeah. Okay. It should be. Um, My knowledge it is. It better still be there. I don't know that I've ever seen it. The tree is planted along Springfield. Oh, okay. And so I, I, as far as, I haven't been there in a while, but as far as I know, like, there's a plaque type okay. thing there with the write-up of her and I, her picture is there. Oh, I'm going to look it up next time yeah. I'm there because I just wasn't looking for it, obviously. Well, yeah, so I don't wouldn't know. know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you don't know where it is. Yeah. Then and if you're not looking for it, you just may not necessarily know. So. Yeah. Yeah. Aww. Well, poor baby and her family. I'm yeah. so sorry. Well, I'm going to start my story now. Yeah, let's dive into yours. <laughs> warning. There is some gory details. So definitely trigger warning there. But you are listening to a true crime murder podcast. Okay, I guess it's time for my story now. And mine is regarding Portugal's first documented serial killer, Diogo Alves, also known as the aqueduct murderer. So lots of sources, but the three that I got my information from was Wikipedia. The main one, actually, I should have named that one first, was a newspaper clipping that I found on newspapers.com, but it was from the Taunton Courier published on March 17th of 1841. And also Ripley's believe it or not <laughs> believe it or not yeah we might believe it i don't know we'll see so diogo alves was born in 1810 in galicia spain to a portuguese peasant family i'm not sure if i pronounced that correctly galicia 
So I apologize to anyone listening if I did. He was one of the most brutal and frightening human beings of that time. At a young age, he fell from his family horse and hit his head. That earned him the nickname Pancada, meaning blow or strike in Portuguese. So all of my fellow Portuguese people listening will know that term. I don't know. It was just one of those things you heard a lot as a kid, probably because you were a shithead and your parents <laughs> constantly threatened you like with, the with the schnella or a yep. smack. Yeah. Anyway. I've even been threatened with the schnella. Yeah, you have. Yep. I threaten everyone with the schnella and it's embedded in my DNA. I'm sorry. Oh, it's I, okay. I can't. I can't stop that. <laughs> it's like when you yell, your Portuguese comes out of you. It does. It's yeah. weird. It's very weird, but. What can I say? I'm Portuguese. <laughs> so Pancada, that was his nickname. When he was around 13, however, some sources did say 18, but for the time, 13 is way more believable. His parents sent him to Lisbon for a better life. In Lisbon, he made a career for himself. He worked from a young age as a servant in homes of wealthy citizens. He worked as a groom, a lackey, which I always find that term so funny for mm-hmm. people that don't know what it means it's like a servant or a footman manservant i like the i like manservant i know that's so weird it's such a weird manservant. term but i love it so weird so he was a manservant and rose to the rank of coachman at the age of 26 he began working in homes along the okay bear with me <laughs> it's late in the day and some of these words might be a little much for me so aquadutu the jaguars livres <laughs> I don't practice Portuguese that much. I mean, when I lived in Toronto, I was like speaking Portuguese all the time here. There's no Portuguese people. Yeah. <laughs> so I could be talking to myself, but that might be a little scary. So I apologize for my Portuguese in this episode. So Aquaduto de Jaguas Livres means Lisbon's famous aqueduct of free waters. There are some pictures I will post because it actually is quite a beautiful structure. So I'll post those on Instagram and all of our other feeds. Basically, it's a giant waterway that carried water into the city and also acted as a bridge and roadway for farmers and merchants entering to trade their goods for the day. This is where Diogo began his string of murders. He rarely wrote back to his parents after they shipped him off and he changed his jobs several times and he stopped writing to them altogether leading his parents to believe that he was dead. Awesome son. Such a great son. (laughs) Such a good son. Around 1834, Diogo lost his mother and was completely heartbroken, even though the fucker (laughs) let her believe he was dead that whole time. (laughs) But how devastating for him. Talk about calling the kid a fucking black. How devastating. How Um, devastating. (laughs) Totally. He lost his job and began his wild life of drinking and gambling. That's when he met the innkeeper... At her tavern, Maria Pereirinha Gertrude, and started courting her and fell in love. So Pereirinha means a vine branch or a little vine, just for people that are wondering. Okay. Her tavern was located on Aguas Boas Street. Maria was said to be extremely perverse, not hesitating to fornicate in front of her children. Ew. So it was right. And she definitely, I'm guessing anyway. Maybe it was different then, but I'm guessing she didn't win any parenting awards. (laughs) No, I would say so. Yeah, I'm guessing. Definitely not. She was wild, sadistic, and manipulative. So Maria, that's what I'm going to call her. I'm not going to say her whole name. So Maria was married to a tobacco factory worker who lived separately from him. (laughs) With two children, a boy and a girl. Diogo was her lover and lived with her and her two kids. That is the only thing I can find about her husband. So yeah, 
It is believed that this connection to Maria is what instigated Diogo to murder. He wanted to impress her, but couldn't because he was poor. So the aqueduct murderer was born. She participated in the gang activities and would help with covering up any traces for their crimes. She wielded tremendous power over him, having no difficulty convincing Diogo to become a criminal. At one point, it is said in some of the research, actually all of it, that he was as dumb as a stump. Apparently, he wasn't very bright. And that's probably why he did whatever she said. Anyway, so the murders. Between 1836 and 1840, Diogo sent over 70 people to their death. So if you average that out, that's around 17 people per year or about three people every two and a half months or 1.5 people per month. But I thought that sounded weird. A person and a half per month. Yeah, I never understood that. Like one, one point three people. Like, what is that? So it just felt better saying three people every two months. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) For this period of the 19th century, these are relatively unheard of statistics. He became famous as the aqueduct murderer, as his crimes were all committed in that area. The aqueducts were built in 1748. The Road of Arches passes through it. Diego had a pair of falsified keys to the inner galleries of the aqueducts. To this day, it's a mystery as to how he obtained the keys, but some believed that there were... This was something that he did on the site, so he would falsify, duplicate keys, whatever you want to call it. So it was one of his... One of his awesome side jobs when he's not murdering people. Um, these galleries what a were stellar called, guy. Well, uh, I mean, so these galleries were called the. Okay, here's another tongue twister. Okay, here's <laughs> the Resvitorio de Mine de Agua de Amoreiras. Well done. I probably shouldn't be drinking wine right now, just so everybody knows. And there's going to be lots of drinking wine for me anyway. I don't know, Chantal, maybe not, but like for me, there's going to be lots of drinking wine. So. I apologize for messing that up. But basically, if you translate it, which the translation is horrible in English, but the reservoir of mothers of water of mulberry trees. Nice. <laughs> Either way, it's a mouthful. That's so what she said. <laughs> yes, that is exactly what she said. Right. Chantal. <laughs> <laughs> he would wait on the bridge for people returning with money that they sold that had sold their goods for and would rob them. He targeted victims less likely to be missed in the city and mainly focused on peasants who came to Lisbon from distant villages. This way, the families of these victims would be too far away to try and find out what happened to their loved ones. So after robbing his victims, he would blindfold them and throw them from a height of at least 60 to 65 meters. Jesus. (laughs) Yep. Depending where he launched them off the bridge <laughs> launched them just yeeted them he right yeeted off. them off that motherfucking bridge it was either 60 or 65 meters where they got yeeted off but yes he yeeted them in fashion he did this to avoid being identified and present the deaths as suicides this initially worked as the police found no foul play when they investigated the murders and thought it was a series of copycat suicides there was no sign of a fight or a struggle on any of the bodies of the victims And also, the entrances to the aqueducts were guarded, so it was easy for them to just conclude that these were all suicides. At the time, Portugal was experiencing great political instability due to the Great Liberal Revolution of 1820. Many people had recently lost their jobs and were suffering from poverty and hunger, so suicide really actually wasn't that far of a stretch yeah. of a conclusion, right? Yeah. Police eventually shut the bridge down, and it remained closed for many decades. 
Diego had to find a new way to make money, of course. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So he formed a gang to murder and rob the wealthy residents he had worked in, but was eventually caught, of course. (laughs) A court meeting was organized in the former monastery of Carmo. At 6.30 a.m., the defendants were brought to court from the Limuario prison. I am sorry if I butchered that name. By 8 a.m., the courtroom seats were all occupied. The murders on the aqueduct remained unproven, but the jury sentenced Diogo and other members of his gang to death by hanging for other crimes. So in particular, murdering the four family members of Dr. Pedro de Andrade on the night of September 26 to 27 in 1829 and a fifth murder sometime later. And I will get into that a little later. So this particular case attracted police attention, probably because they were a noble family. So, you know, that made sense. But everyone eating themselves off a bridge (laughs) didn't fucking matter. Anyway, so they say that his gang consisted of up to eight people. But again, every source I read was different. It's not like I can email them and ask them. No. I would love to, but I can't. Maria's 11-year-old daughter, also named Maria, so Maria de Conceição, testified in court against the gang and her mother exposing her involvement in the gang activities. Diogo denies the allegations made by her daughter. She recounted that Diogo had said at their home or had discussed his adventures with the gang and everything he was involved with. She remembers that Diogo left Maria's house at about 10 p.m. on September 26th with his gang and with four gag cloths. She was able to identify these gags in court. Prior to this night, Diogo had several meetings with his gang to discuss the attack and (laughs) plan it out. So the attack on Dr. Andrade's house. They were able to make his servant, Manuel Alves, their accomplice. And the reason why they were able to do that is his nephew, Antonio Martins, was a gang member. Some of the sources that I read said they were cousins. But for the sake of this episode, I'm just going to say uncle, nephew, because we don't know. And again, I wish I could email them about this. <laughs> Dr. Andrade lived on Rua del King, a central part of the town. Being a bachelor, his family only consisted of an elderly woman. His housekeeper, Maria, another Maria de Conceição. Actually, another Maria de Conceição. Wow. Correa. <laughs> There's a lot of Marias in Portugal. What can there I say? Are. <laughs> so it was her, Maria, her two daughters, and a servant, man, Manuel, who I mentioned earlier. So he's the uncle of Antonio, the gang member. There was a first attempt to rob the house, but that had to be put on hold because one of the gang members was way too drunk. <laughs> <laughs> These are the shittiest criminals. Team effort. <laughs> yeah. Leo. Right, Leo? By the way, you guys might hear my cats or dogs meow or bark. I'm not sorry about it. I'm just letting you know. <laughs> Leo is very vocal mm-hmm. and has a very unique meow. He does. Leo, hey, you sound like you're dying. You're uh, not, it depends on his like mood. It. it depends what he, like, That's if he thinks true. he's alone. That's true. His meow is, like, very deep and yeah, you can tell stories. stories. <laughs> <laughs> but then when angst. he realizes, yeah, when he realizes he's not alone, he's like, oh, hi. Yeah, like, that's very true. It different. does depend. Yeah. His meals are awesome. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. Pretty great. Getting back to this gang member that was way too drunk and fucked up all plan. Then there was a second attempt. But again, this had to be put on hold because several visitors at Dr. Andrade's residence remained there until late. So they had to wait. The last and final day, the fatal day, was the 26th of September 
1839. That night, Dr. Andrade was not home and was not supposed to return until the following morning. As soon as nightfall came, the servant Manuel let Diogo and another gang member in and he hid them in his room. <laughs> in his room. I, I, I burped. <laughs> I apologize. He left the street door half open in order to let the others in at a later time. They did this so it didn't look suspicious that all these guys are like swarming the doctor's house. So yeah. they had to separate and have them all come in at different times. At 9 p.m. that night, the housekeeper, her two daughters and her son, 25 year old that was visiting. So he didn't live there. He was just visiting. They all sat down for dinner. Once they were all together, Manuel, the servant, signaled Diogo and the rest of the gang and they rushed the family. The woman screamed loudly, but all the windows were shut, so no one heard her from the street. Diogo took the two daughters, two others took the old mother, and the rest rushed her son. Her son was holding a table knife, trying to defend himself. He managed to gash a gang member in the face, and the gang member fell to the ground. Diogo saw this and let go of the girls and went behind the son and stabbed him with a poignard. One yard. <laughs> if I'm going to be fancy. One yard. One yard. Pointered a small slim dagger. <laughs> so a very small knife. I like pointy yard. One yard. It's like microwave. Cro- oh my God. Yes, I saw that meme today. The microwave. microwave. I am never going to pronounce microwave the same again. The microwave. The microwave. So then anyway, it- sorry. No, that's okay. So the young man <laughs> fell back onto the dining table and overthrew it, which knocked the lamp down and they were left in complete total darkness. Remember, there was no electricity. Okay. Welp. Welp. <laughs> <laughs> At this moment, the oldest daughter snuck away and hid in a closet. Meanwhile, the gang had lit a candle with a Lucifer match. Diego noticed that the girl was gone and went looking for her. She rushed out of the closet and ran for a window, but he caught her before she could open it trigger warning this is not pleasant he bent her back over his knee and broke her spine Ugh. yeah Yikes. can you imagine how that viciously force? he had to <clears throat> that's insane yeah so he snapped her fucking spine jesus while choking her with both hands until Ugh. she took her last breath what a horrible way to die yeah he returned to the dining room and told the others to strangle the other two females, so mom and her sister. Ugh. Once they were all dead, they dragged all four bodies to the back room. Diego checked to see if any of them had a heartbeat and then started stamping his heel into their face and their head Ugh. until he crushed their noses and broke their jaw teeth, smashed them all in. He Ugh. just wanted to make sure because just in case, just in case. Oh, my God. You know, I mean, at least they, this is horrible, but at least they didn't feel it. They were dead. At least they didn't feel it. But like, very least. how horrible. How fucked up. That's a lot of fucked up. Falling off a horse. Yeah. Falling off a horse. Okay. It's always so how it goes with I was thinking people. about this earlier. How many serial killers, that's their story. They fell off a fucking swing. There's always Like head, head trauma. trauma or a deep emotional trauma yeah. and shit. Yeah. Yeah. Once he made sure that there were no survivors, they began searching the house for money, gold, and anything else they could find. They found a bag with 200 gold ounces in a desk, but what they really wanted was in the safe. Manuel, the servant, and I'm going to keep calling him that, had told them there was a lot of money and gold in a, in that safe. They worked away all night to get into the safe and didn't realize the time until they heard a gun 
fired from a flagship, letting them know it was dawn. They only left with the bag of gold, which Diogo kept to himself and the others got nothing. They all deserve it. None of them deserve anything. He is a really bad dude. Yeah. He's not a stellar guy. No. No. And he surrounded himself with non-stellar people. Yeah. A bunch of dumbasses. A bunch of dumbasses. Too drunk to carry out a crime. Yeah. Horrible criminals. Manuel, the servant, had fled the doctor's house as soon as he realized murder was a part of the plan and went to Diogo's residence. He stayed there living in fear for a few weeks and then Diogo and another gang member strangled him in his sleep. They wanted to make sure that there were no witnesses. On November 8th, the body of Manuel Alves, the servant, was discovered. His legs, this is great, his legs were cut off below the knee and placed on his chest. He was killed and buried by Juan de Pedraj and Diogo. They cut his legs off because the grave turned out to be too small. <laughs> Support, they are awful criminals. I'm sorry, but I would feel like it would be less work. <laughs> To dig the hole bigger. (laughs) But they felt cutting his fucking legs off was better. I don't know. It cracks me up that they cut his legs off and then just placed them on his chest. Like, yeah. Where oh, we put shit. Him? Oh, look. Just just put him on yeah. top of him. Just, just put his legs right, right there. Right like, there. Like, just, I don't know. The visual of it cracks me up. These guys are fucking idiots. And then what's even funnier is back then people weren't very tall. No. So how big was this hole that they dug? Obviously not very big. (laughs) Not very vertical anyways. No. But yeah, that's what they did. (laughs) Because they are horrible criminals. Horrible. Oh my. Uh, Diogo and another member were executed by means of hanging on February 19th, 1841. And the rest were exiled to the African colony. So Maria, his lover, was exiled to Mozambique. And the rest were sent to Angola. This is not the end of Diogo's story, by the way. His actions intrigued scientists from the then Medical Surgical School of Lisbon. After his hanging, in an attempt to study his brain, Diogo's head was cut off for study. At the time, many phrenologists felt that they could explain his actions by studying the shape and size of his cranium. The study is called phrenology. In the end, his skull was never examined and remains preserved in a jar in a solution of formaldehyde. I will be posting this photo. And for people kind of my age, I suppose, or like the Ripley's Believe It or Not era, you might actually recognize the photo of his head in a jar. Because I remember, I definitely remember seeing it when I was a kid. Yeah, I just same. didn't know yeah, yeah. that it was Portugal's yeah. first documented serial killer. Now I'm like, okay good times yeah i recognize it too yeah Mm -hmm. so i will definitely be posting that so as i mentioned they didn't do anything with jar they left it in formaldehyde phrenologists couldn't adequately justify their theories so they just preserved it in the hopes that future technology would allow their predecessors to experiment more successfully in a report by dr francisco ferraz from 1886 he suggested that diogo's mental instability was due to the head injury he received as a child surprise surprise oh my right the severed head is currently in the anatomical theater of the university of lisbon's faculty of medicine and that concludes my story crazy it is crazy totes crazy yeah there's a lot of nuts in this world there are a lot of nuts (laughs) 
And in my cupboard upstairs, apparently. Yeah, Diana's a freaking squirrel. <laughs> Seriously. I like nuts. She was literally talking about all of her stowaway nuts and opened up her cupboard and she just had a whole bunch of different kinds of nuts. And I'm like, you are a fucking squirrel. You go to Costco and it's not like you buy a small pack. It bags. <laughs> and you just have bags. Containers or bags of nuts. <laughs> so yeah, holy cow. Two crazy stories. Yep, absolutely. And I don't know. Anything else you want to say? Oh, I wanted to give a shout out to my friend Jesse Walters for helping me brainstorm my story. I actually switched my stories around and my fir- like my first one for this episode. So I wanted to give him a shout out. And also he is bananas talented, y'all. Check out his music, Chronic Walters. If you like rap, you will absolutely love his music. And if you don't like rap, you're fucking missing out. So yeah, support the hell out of him. I'd like to give a shout out to my cousin, Rudy. He apparently is a true crime fan. <laughs> Sorry. Let me try that again. <laughs> I was just thinking crickets, crickets. Crickets, crickets, crickets. <laughs> I might actually do that. We'll see. Okay. Fan, just like I am. <laughs> and I can't wait to share more stories. So Rudy, if you have anything you want to hear, let me know. You know how to reach me. Thank you so much, everyone. Yes, thank you. We will see you next Monday. Absolutely. Good Please, night. If you, oh, oh sorry. <laughs> nope. I was just going to say, if you guys have any suggestions of topics you want to hear about, worldly, personal, or true crime related, please email them to us. Yes. Oh, so we have other social media and stuff. Any other social <laughs> media? Social, social media. Social media. <laughs> I think I'm done for the night. I think I'm, I think I'm done. I think we both are. I'm tired. It's been a fucking long day, man. It's, it's been, been a, a long, long week. Day. So we have other social media. <laughs> we have Instagram. We have Facebook. <coughs> we have Twitter and a bunch of other shit. So just look up uh, My Ride or Die or My Ride or Die podcast and you will find us. And you can email us at myrideordiepodcast at gmail.com with any suggestions, emails, and we may or may not consider them, just so you know. <laughs> Depending on what it is. Depending on what it is. I mean, we're both very, very open people and very with the times and stuff, but. Some shit just, you know. Yeah. But I mean, hey, if you have funny stories and shit like that, even too, please send them in. Send funny stories and we may or may not read them (laughs) on our episodes. Yep. We'll do a shout out that way. Or crazy events. If you've witnessed crazy events, unexplainable events. Yes. I don't know about Diana, but I eat that shit up. Unexplainable events and I like can. sightings. I fucking love it. I do. Yeah? yeah? I do. We've never really talked about that stuff. We'll have to on another episode. We will. We'll, we'll talk, about, talk about, about all that shit. Yeah. But in the meantime, please feel free to email them yes. and then we will figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Good night, peeps. We'll see you next Monday or we- hear you next Monday. Yeah. I mean, you'll hear us next Monday. <laughs> Jesus Christ. We love you guys. Bye. <laughs>